Welcome to The Power of a Graceful Leader with Alexis Thompson. Join us as we explore ways to access your deep inner wisdom, learn what it looks and feels like so that you can find your own path to integration, flow, and alignment, awakening the graceful leader within you. And now, here's your host, Alexis Thompson. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Power of a Graceful Leadership podcast. And as all my guests I'm really excited about, I'm equally excited to introduce you to an impressive man named Truett Tate. Truett brings more than 40 years of senior executive and corporate board experience to his role at my next season executive advisor. As a founder, CEO, and board chairman, Truett began his next season in 2018 and understands the challenges and triumphs that come with big transitions. As a forward thinker with an entrepreneurial spirit, Truett is committed to helping others create the brightest next seasons for themselves. Living 40 of the past 50 years overseas in a more than half a dozen locations, including Brazil, Hong Kong, and the UK, he has a unique global perspective as a mentor and a coach that is deeply influenced by cultural understanding and personal connections. Previously, Truett served as the CEO of ANZA's OECD countries, where he drove significant revenue growth and increased efficiencies. Prior to ANZA, Truett was a group executive and Lloyd's Banking Group, where he was responsible for wholesale and international banking worldwide, and he was named the Corporate Social Responsibility Executive. Impressive. He also spent 27 years as Citigroup in a variety of senior roles, including responsibility for corporate banking business across each of their regional geographies. Truett has served on a variety of corporate and not-for-profit boards and councils, including a term as chairman of Lloyd's Development Capital and the UK's largest mid-cap private equity firm. He is currently the chairman of QBENA, one of the largest global P&C insurers, thinkability and educational technology company serving families, Reference Point, a leading management consulting firm, and TLC Lions, a UK-based firm dedicated to invigorating corporate culture of the largest companies in the world. He also serves on multiple associations and academic boards. It is with great excitement and no further ado, I bring you to it, Tate. I'm uber excited. We're going to do something a little different. We're going to take 30 minutes together here today and dive deep into one tenant. And for this tenant, I asked Truett to look at the compassionately powerful tenant and let's go deep on that one. Um, as an executive leader and a community leader and just an amazing human, I have a fair amount of uh, excitement about what he's going to share with us today. Hi, Truett. Thanks for being here. Well, hi, Alexis. It's great to be here. And um, <clears throat> I'm flattered. I hope to live up to it, or at least partially. Yeah, I don't think that'll be a problem. What I've really enjoyed about um, this podcast is the ability for whoever I'm speaking to and us to just go with wherever it takes us. Um, and it seems to be poignant every time. So with a little Perfect. bit of focus and shorter time, I have no doubt that will happen. So thank you for that. You're more than welcome. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I, you know, in the intro, we shared a little bit about your background and big banking, let's just say. Um, and I remember when Guillen was the one that introduced us and I read your background and I was like, he's really like a good guy and he's from big banking seemed like an anomaly. <laughs> so I'm sure there's lots of them, but we don't necessarily tie that together. Right. So well, as a cultural. Uh, you know. ab absolutely. And as you said in the intro, uh, quote unquote, big banking 
uh, goes back to the first job, but yeah. uh, I, I don't I don't think I'm involved in any bank uh, directly now. Yeah, and uh, it gave me a great foundation, but uh, uh, just that. Okay, fair enough. Thank you for that clarity and that focus. So let's you start where you want in your career, wherever it feels appropriate that this compassionately powerful tenant may have run into you. You ran into it. Um, you started to. I'm sure consciously and unconsciously as we evolve as leaders, um, figure out that what got you here isn't going to get you there, right? Right. Um, and you refine and adjust. And this seems to be one of those tenants that people kind of bump up against and go, oh, the old force and the commanding, controlling way that may have gotten me partway in my career isn't going to get me to this upper echelon or influencing without authority positions that a lot of us take now. Um so I'll let you take it away there. Mm, okay. It's an in- interesting uh, angle into it. Um, and uh, I guess I'd, I'd touch on the fact that um, as many of us were fortunate enough to be raised in uh, good, strong families, mm-hmm. um, much of what I do now, whether it's uh, thinkably or dev clever, um, is focused on trying to help uh, kids have a better start to life. A stronger family, uh, strong values and, and beliefs early in life. So it, as in so many ways, I've been blessed. So when you talk about that evolution, maybe, I literally go back to being raised in a strong family that faith was important. Uh, I had two parents who were very successful, but dramatically different approaches. And I think that helped me understand really early that there's not one path to success. Um, my father was very much kind of an A character. Uh-huh. Um, my my mother, uh, a teacher, um, sweet as could be, but ultimately got two doctorates, went from being a teacher to a principal to a superintendent of schools, um, enormously successful, much more through compassion mm-hmm. than through authority or evident expression of her intellect. Um, and, and so I saw, I saw the two early um, and, uh, and identified probably, honestly, uh, more with my mother, even though my father's approach gave me some great tools. Yeah. Uh, so that's probably, uh, that's probably where it started. And, and let's start there and let you kind of guide where you want me to expand. Yeah, thank you. That's a really nice backdrop. Um, and how beautiful that you had such the dichotomy of both of those things existing in your house, because in your formidable years, that's where you're forming your belief system and and uh, fabric. So having opposites is really a huge strength. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, and yay to your parents for being able to make that work in the household because that's not always easy in partnership. <laughs> well, I tell you, and and we won't go off on this tangent too far. You yeah. actually identify a truism. At the end of the day, they ended up not being able to reconcile that. They ended up being divorced. Um, and, you know, you can make that a sad story or, or you can reflect on the reality of life. Those differences were so dramatic that it was difficult for them to continue a life the way they were. Yep. But never once did they let that get in the way of creating an atmosphere of, of love and grace and gratitude in the family. And that's probably what I admire them the most for 
and the reality check is that's tough, right? Yeah. That's tough for people so different to fundamentally uh, live a life in which they can't reconcile those differences. Yeah, that's, that's, I love that because inside, you know, I, I guess I have a core belief that I, I, everything does happen for a reason. And I believe it serves our highest good, whether or not we can fall into that knowing or embrace that potential reality. That's a whole nother experience, um, yeah. but yay for your parents to be able to, especially, you know, a few years ago, right now, when that might've been harder than, or not as well defined, they're kind of making it work as they go, being a model for so many others, which is yeah. fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's wow. interesting. You know, one of the things that they, um, one of their tenants, and and they would refer to it that way. Yeah. Um, I actually saw, picked up, um, there's actually a very cool book uh, by Andrew Mullaney, who used to work with me at Lloyd's, ended up He's he's doing a little mentoring. He's he's a great author and he wrote a book. Probably don't have the title 100% right, but it's something like "Didn't anyone ever tell you that it's just a game?" Yeah. And um, and and in a funny way, that sort of sounds like it's going to be flippant and cynical. To the contrary, you know, he's a man of of faith, and what he tries to do is help give some of the lessons and the guidelines, and he opens one of his chapters, which is all about uh, drawing lines. Um, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I love it. He quoted uh, Michelle Obama when she said, you know, I have learned that as long as I hold to my beliefs and values and I follow my moral compass, then the only expectations that I need to live up to are my own. Yeah. And when I you know, read that chapter, which is a very good one. And when I do talk to students and when I do do the coaching that I do do, we almost always have a section where we say, do you know what you stand for? Do you have some red lines? And interestingly, uh, I I did a session with a couple of hundred kids out at, uh, at at a school here on Long Island. And it's the strongest feedback I get. They asked me back. And uh, the professor of the business program said that that was the area that stuck with most kids. They went back and they and they said, Truett said, force myself. Do I have some lines? Mm-hmm. And, and he's telling me that I should, that I should understand enough about myself. And, it's, and my point is that that's so essential that yeah. they reflect, that they come up with some core beliefs of what is right and wrong. And they articulate those and they use those Mm -hmm. because it's great to do it when they're not being challenged. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't done it and you're challenged, you're likely to let it slip or compromise or concede. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that was one of my parents' big, big beliefs and and lessons to us. And, And guess what? I was with three brothers. We were four boys. And we didn't all end up with the same ones. Sure. They didn't give us theirs. They encouraged us to develop our own. Yeah. Like the, like the Obama quote. That's very cool. I like now want to come over and meet your parents. <laughs> Are they still here with you? I would say that was going to be difficult. Okay. <laughs> they're, okay. They're not. We'll have they, to both, they both passed. Yeah, I'll have to uh, They both had great lives. They lived into their 90s. Wow. <clears throat> My mom almost made it just a few months short to 100. <gasps> but uh, oh. she was ready. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, so let's dive into some of the stuff that you were saying there 
when we talk about red lines or we talk about understanding our own boundaries and values, right, and our purpose, um, a lot of times that gives a nice framework for us to be compassionate inside and outside of those lines, right? Um, yes. Because we know we're really solid in who it is that we are in this world and we become less afraid. We become uh, more tolerant, hopefully, and open-minded, open-hearted, hopefully. Um, can you think of a way, you know, in, in the um, tenant, it says, pardon me, influences through an open heart and clear agenda, blending, <coughs> blending stillness and action. I get lots of questions on what does that even mean? So what did that mean to you? When yeah, you had I, <clears throat> I, I, it was interesting. Just I had read your book some time ago. Uh, yeah. I took it with me when we went this summer to, uh, to Europe. And I, I remembered the bullet amongst other things. But when I prepared for today, I re-looked at the, the three bullets underneath the heading, compassionately powerful at all yeah. times. And it, it was, I'm, not, I'm one of those guys who enjoy saying, I don't believe in coincidences. That morning, um, my, my wife and I start our day uh, with the devotion. Uh, wow. We happen to use Lectio 365. There are lots of really good ones out there. Mm-hmm. Kind of works for us. It's about 10 minutes. We listen to it and then, and then we chat about it. Right? And that's a separate story in terms of what that means to us and how we use that. But in it, this was yesterday. Um, they were quoting Henri Newman. I don't probably haven't pronounced it correctly, Dutch. Uh, he was quite a famous Dutch theologian. And they read a prayer by him. And the end of the prayer was, open my heart to receive your gift of love. Mm. And, and it was funny. What I focused on there was thinking about open differently. Um, because you, you tend to think about open as in candid or frank or transparent. And um, and I actually thought of it in the context of what we're talking about now, compassion. That yes. open really is about receiving. Op- open, it's, it's not aggressive. It's, mm-hmm. it's open my eyes to see miracles. Uh, open my mind to be less judgmental to listen, to receive, uh, open my heart to gratitude, to love, uh, to care. I was seeing open and a kind of shoulders back, hands out, um, a different way. And I said, that's at the heart of how I see compassion. Uh, That's how I see the word open. Um, and, And then when I combine it with, a traditional sense of power and kind of an A sense, which again, aggressive authority. I combine the two. And for me, the powerful is associated with when someone, or if we can talk about companies, because through something like TLC, we focus on corporate culture and the, the models are really importantly parallel. But when you, understand who you are when you have a vision as to what your purpose is and when you align everything that you say and do with achieving that that's power that's that's powerful has nothing to do with authority has nothing to do with telling anyone anything uh, that's a conventional bully's concept of uh, of power 
But if you think about it, the combination of this openness to receive and the way we interact, whether it be with through your faith or in, in people that you respect and you care about, with the idea of helping them and you yourself, knowing your purpose, that to move the needle in the direction of achieving that purpose, that combination is beautiful. Yeah. And, and if it kind of is what drives us, mm-hmm. I see nothing but upside. Yeah, that's brilliant. And so I, I love how you outline that. It's exactly what I was getting at in the book. It definitely is open-heartedness, right? That's why we're talking about that particular energy spot in our body. And then on top of it, a lot of times, and I'm curious to hear what you think or have witnessed in this space, where uh, even if you're even op- you're open-hearted and you're feeling compassion, you're experiencing that with another being, our world is derived and motivated by doing something, right? You are only as good as the last result you got kind of mentality. So mm. when you're a leader and you're open-hearted and you experience <clears throat> compassion, this blending of stillness and movement is like kind of like the fine point on the whole tenant because a lot of times compassion requires stillness. There isn't a doingness necessarily in the sense of what we think about. Someone shares, you know, their dog died. Okay. You're sitting in a compassionate mm-hmm. experience of that loss that person is experiencing and sharing with you. They're not asking you to do anything, right? Other than be present and probably still. Have you, do you have anything to say about that or experiences in that area? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think it's, uh, it's a, a really, it, there's a lot of subtlety and a lot of complexity. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm going to take it in a way that right now it resonates and uh, okay. ho- hopefully that will contribute. But um, I've, I've recently, uh, let me get to the heart of where I'm going to go, which is that uh, I've, I've really been impacted throughout my life and maybe even more recently with the concept that <clears throat> we're all broken, we're all flawed, um, you know, we're all fractured. Um, and um, I've always had, uh, growing up, a kind of a, a, a one concept of redemption. But I've been introduced within the last year to something which I find really intriguing, and maybe you will. Um, kintsugi, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, centuries-old art in Japan of taking uh, broken pottery, yep. and, and you actually take it to a kintsugi master, and he doesn't just repair it he repairs it and makes it more beautiful yep. he uses the the fractured seams mm-hmm. and and in literal sense does a, a mixture of gold or silver or other precious metals with a with a putty and doesn't just repair the seam but then makes art around that seam yeah so your end product doesn't hide the fracture yeah. but builds upon it to make something more beautiful and more stronger. And of course the metaphor I really like. And, and indeed there's a, a couple who have blown my mind. I met a little while back, uh, Mako Fujimura, who's a uh, quite famous, uh, one of the leading living abstract expressionists 
uh, married to um, uh, uh, Hedgen Shim, who's Korean, and has started an incredible uh, uh, charity in India, in the brothels of India, focusing on the children who are born into brothels, and that's the only life they know. And, you know, what choice do they have in terms of who they grow up to be, except by this kind of intervention? So put that to the side. Yeah. The, uh, I'm actually working with Michael to see if we can't develop workshops around this because the human metaphor is wonderful. Yes. Uh, by and large, all too often, we suppress that which has hurt us, that which uh, defines being broken and fractured. We put it away. We don't deal with it. <clears throat> when the greatest people some of the most inspirational people are the ones who have taken it and you see it in how they live their life. You feel it in how they talk. <clears throat> Someone like John O'Leary, if you've ever, and I'd recommend it to, if you've ever read his book on fire, mm-hmm. John O'Leary, and it'll take more than our half hour. So real, real quickly met him because he rented daughters in my house down in, in the Dominican Republic. So, you know, we're talking, uh, here's the rental contract and blah, blah, blah. And um, I I looked him up. I wanted to know who was going to be staying in the house. He's written this book called On Fire. This gentleman at the age of nine was caught in his home. I'm trying not to get emotional. Home burned down. He was caught in it. The only one there burns over 100% of his body, 100% of his body. Nine months in the hospital, agony, pain, had to have all of his fingers, all of his digits removed, uh, horrible. And here's a guy who says he would not change anything about that. Night, right? He's stronger. He loves better. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't get emotional. <laughs> He's an inspiration. Um, Nick Vujicic, born, you know, with a tetra amelia, born without any limbs, mm-hmm. um, wrote a book called Without Limbs. Yeah. Um, has an organization. The man is inspirational because he yes, takes those things that are broken and makes them not just who he is in, in a fractured sense, but in it, they make me stronger. They gave me revelations. They made me a better person. I'm a better father. I'm a better husband, right? Um, yeah. and, uh, Nick has kids and is married and, and has an incredible sense of humor. Um, these are walking examples, and if each of us can be, in that sense, inspired to be open to the things that have hurt us and translate those into those things that can define our grace and our compassion that can make us truly kind of live gratefulness. And I don't know if we're all over the place here. I've got more screens open than, uh, than I can imagine in this little response to you. But I, I love the idea, just like drawing lines. The other thing to me is the disciplines. If people can periodically stop regularly and remember all the things that they're grateful for mm-hmm. and then express it. Mm-hmm. Tell, you know, tell your wife, tell your children that you're grateful for them, um, you know, Tell your best friend. Tell them. It just—it's a great discipline, but it's a part of this process of how to open your eyes and open your heart. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. The grat- gratitude is foundational and the entry point for all of this work that I've done around grace and leadership. So thanks for bringing us back to that. 
Um, but there's a, actually, if I could, on gratefulness, I, I'm a big fan of, and I always mess up the order. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Charlie Mackesy, wonderful writer in the UK. Um, he's written what I think is kind of uh, our generation or our eras, The Velveteen Rabbit, which I will openly confess is one of my favorite books. Uh, and his is like, like I say, I probably got the order wrong, but the mole, the horse, the fox, and the boy in some order. And uh, it really is, I, I highly recommend it. You, you'll find yourself dipping in time and time again, and they are discussions amongst these. And there is one where the, um, the fox says to the little boy, in an effort to understand how he sees the world, he says, so is your glass half empty or is it half full? Oh. And the boy looked at him and said, I'm simply happy to have a glass. Yeah. I love it. Sometimes just it kind of cuts through the, uh, the Gordian knot yeah. and focus on the simplicity mm-hmm. of the things that you've got to be grateful for. Yeah. Do you find that um, a gratitude practice requires stillness? Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of making sure you find time. And that's part of what we do in the morning. Um, you know, have a devotion and we don't, we let there be some time after the devotion before we start talking about it. And you need that stillness to, to be just with your own thoughts to, you know, we rush into so many things so quickly uh, and that there's loss when that happens. Yeah. So stillness, there's the quiet aspect of stillness, mm-hmm. but there's the temporal, the space aspect mm. of stillness. Yes. Right? Yeah. I. Th- that's a really nice distinction about the two pieces that you're identifying there. Cause most of the time we just think sitting still, but it definitely, mm-hmm. that's not, that's not enough. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So okay. I'm a, I'm a, when I'm in a restaurant waiting for someone, if I'm, um, uh, I, I'm a, I'm a note taker, but you know I have books which are twice the size of the notebook because they're filled with uh, a napkin I've written on the back of a pamphlet I've written on the back of um, you know uh, I take notes at church I have to explain if I'm visiting a church because I like to sit up front I say to the pastor I introduce myself and I say I'm going to be on my phone your entire sermon please understand. I'm not doing emails. I'm not, I'm not doing Wordle. You know, I'm taking notes. I'm a note taker. That's awesome. <laughs> Do you go back and reflect on your notes of often? Lots. I really, yeah. I tend to take a quick paragraph at the beginning, kind of as a diary note. What happened the weekend, something that's important to me. Um, I take, I write a diary, I carry, I've probably got about 40 odd books covering the years. Um, and I've been blessed, right? When I was with City, uh, went to 123 countries. I've got a really good friend who is on my board at QBE, Bill Cronenberg. We are competing. He does have the lead. He's up to close to 150 countries. But uh, to do that over decades, uh, to watch wow. how the world has changed. And I tended to like to use the weekends in a trip. Like if I was in Thailand, I would go to Amanpuri and try to get the remote room they had mm-hmm. and basically not get out. So it didn't always make me appreciate the country so much, yep. but in a clean, different 
environment that I'm in, it allowed me to be still. That's funny because I do the same thing and people are like, well, did you go see all the sites? I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. I didn't. (laughs) Internally, for sure, right? That's all that work happening there. And I've not heard of someone else share that. So that that makes me feel really connected to you. That's awesome. In our togetherness, right? And I actually did not, by the way, I don't know if you. I can't read them. What are the words? Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then inside it says, I am grateful. That's beautiful. This is a a great little company that I am so many things. And uh, the the woman has created all of these cups. One of them, it's a coffee cup. But what's kind of cool is, um, and actually I've I've got it because I wanted to, it's not to plug for her per se, but I love the concept. I'm, I'm a big fan of making sure that you're surrounded by things that reminds you of what you and I are talking about. Don't give ourselves too much credit. I, matter of fact, probably treat myself like a dummy in a way. <laughs> I, I like lots of reminders. And it's yeah. not because I'm getting old, which I am. But so this cup was designed by them. Uh, I'm trying to see if I... So as you drink your coffee... You read it. New That's lines beautiful. become evident. And the lines are lines like, I am God's very good idea. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am pleasing to my heavenly father. I am outrageously loved. I am not alone. And there's so many, this is a part we could get into on, on mental health. And as part of what we try to do with Thinkably, as early as possible, you've, you've got to get youngsters with a stronger self-image yes. to know that they're loved and that they're outrageously loved. I like the exaggeration. I'm, I'm a little hyperbolic myself, so of course I do. But um I, I um, have cups like that. At the end of the day, you know, I do find myself. I have read the cup a thousand times. Yes. But yeah. I like it. Repeat yeah, it. those are nice deposits every day, all the time. That's great. Okay, let's try to hit one more part of this to honor your time. Sure. Um, I want to talk a little bit about inside organizations accountability. All right. So this says, understands and owns the impact and consequences of their behavior to self-organization in the world. Um, I would would assert, and you may disagree, that we are at a very crucial time in the world on many different levels, be it humanity, um, earth, animals, pick one or all. Do you have anything, any wisdom you would share with emerging leaders as they're growing into their grace and gratitude around accountability? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it, it's a, a great aspect uh, in your book that you talk about, and it is that subtle companionship and dichotomy, uh, responsibility, accountability, taking responsibility, holding yourself accountable as well as as those around you, not in a we they sense, but in a uh, in a we versus they, but it is a we sense and not making it one or the other. I am accountable. I want those who work with me to feel accountable. I have to demonstrate that in how I treat them and how I treat myself. Um, I I like what we're doing a lot with, um, and you interviewed, and by the way, it was a great interview. Uh, It's a compliment to you and to Gan Power, who's the uh, CEO and founder of TLC. Uh, we were just with a CEO yesterday of a major company. Can't say who it is right 
right now, could at some point, um, and, and talking about the, um, the, the leader and the team. You do some, some terrific things in your book. I love your story, if I remember right, like with Jeannie. Um, but what, what we're trying to get leaders to do through storytelling is to show their vulnerability, take ownership of who they are, their weakness, as well as their strengths. Through that demonstration, they can A, learn to tell the story such that it, it marries with and reinforces the values and behaviors articulated for the company, mm-hmm. but also sets the example that you, my direct report, my hundreds of people who work in the organization, can do the same thing. And that, that creates a bond. Yes. Um, and, and that bond is part of where all of you understand that you're in this together. It does get back to when I talked about the powerful part of, of compassionately powerful, being moving in the path of achieving your purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's where really good companies learn to express well the vision and the purpose. And then it's a little like my devotional prayer that ends every day. Let that be seen in everything I say and do. Perfect. Um, and then it is a collective. And, and one of the cool parts about it is if you do express that really well, you begin to attract people who share that vision, which makes it more achievable because every company and every vision isn't for everybody. There's not a perfect model, but you can make sure it's a successful model by expressing it well enough and reinforcing that this is who you are, that you attract people that identify with that. Um, and then, and then I do believe this is, this is actually incredibly important. That's why as much as I, I focus what my family does with thinkably on the youth, because we need to build great leaders and those great leaders have to start when they're five to 10 who celebrate love and diversity, inclusion and justice. Um, but the gifts of organization are, and planning are necessary, too, because the big movers of that culture can be corporations. And corporations mm-hmm. um, that believe in a fairer world, that believe in social justice, that believe in just capitalism, are an ingredient that is necessary in the world that we're facing. It's, it's how we communicate. It's how we ultimately choose the best leaders. And, and this could maybe be for our, our second half hour sometime. I, I am a believer that the muddle that the world is in, the muddle that the U.S. is in, to a certain degree, capitalism isn't at fault, but capitalism wasn't just capitalism. It was not fair. and We alienated people. Not everybody benefited together. Mm-hmm. And as a result, we, we created pockets of dissatisfaction. And that's the fault of flawed capitalism. We have to work on changing that. And I do believe part of that is starting with addressing the youth. And a part of that is getting corporations that care, that have a soul, that have values and behaviors that you and I would look at and say, I I would love that in a best friend. I love it in a company. Um, And they have to learn how to communicate it better and how to embed it, which is yeah. difficult. Yeah. Um, so 
that's that, that's, uh, that's a whole other area, I guess. No, that was a beautiful wrap up to this conversation about compassionately powerful. Thank you. Um, and I would love to take another tenant of your choice and explore that later on down the road. That would be fantastic. That would be fun. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a fan of what you do and how you express yourself. So it would be, it'd be a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to The Power of a Graceful Leader. Please join your host, Alexis Thompson, for another enlightening edition of the program soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.